Welcome to the Lingolstown Life Podcast. Today's message about identity includes a powerful interview with Representative Patty Kim and Superintendent Dr. Tamara Willis about the factors that shape their identities. They talk with Pastor George about how being a follower of Christ influences how they show up in their careers and in the community. You won't want to miss this conversation. This message was first preached on September 12, 2021 at the Lingolstown Life Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Lingolstown Life Podcast, where our community seeks to love God and love others. Here you'll find timely teachings, important conversations, and encouraging devotionals to improve your life and help you deepen your faith. I want to remind you um, about a, a very sad moment from history, recent history. Uh, Easter Sunday, 1994, Christians were standing beside each other in their church choir. They were singing hymns that were celebrating the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, this group of Christians who were singing together, they were, they were part of the, the great success of the Western missions in uh, the country of Rwanda. Rwanda was at the time probably one of the most Christian of all the nations in the African continent. But it was just days after this service on Easter Sunday of 1994 that some of these very same Christians would take machetes to the bodies of those who were standing next to them, hacking them to death in a rampage of slaughter that lasted for a hundred days. The Rwandan genocide is a stark reminder that tribalism or or how we identify ourselves can at times lead to the most unspeakable of atrocities you know in the years since people have tried to to explain or they've tried to understand how people who had literally worshiped together on easter sunday people who identified themselves as disciples of Jesus, people who had been through the same waters of baptism, could actually act like this toward one another. But unfortunately, Rwanda is not unique. It's not. All you need to do is start to scroll through social media or turn on the news And you begin to realize that our identity as disciples of Jesus appears to be far less important than many of the other ways in which you and I identify ourselves. Whether it's by the color of our skin, by the country of our family of origin, whether it's by an ideological or political tenet that we espouse, or even whether or not we put on a mask. It's sad. It's sad to think that 20 years ago, on this day, 9-12, we were as united as we could have ever been as a nation. There were no Republicans or Democrats. There were only Americans. There were no black people and white people. There were no immigrants and native-born people. There were, there were just Americans. 
And 20 years later, 20 years later, I wonder some days if we're not going to hack one another up at the end of a, end of a day of worship. Now that I have your attention, now that I have your attention, I want us to think today about how important it is to know how we answer the question, who am I? Who am I? This whole idea of identity that we're going to be talking about today is really a complex and it's a complicated thing. It's this social and emotional construct that we call identity. And you know, we go through trying to understand our identity throughout our entire life, but the time that it really shows itself most is in our teenage years. Any of you remember being a teenager? Some of you here in the room are teenagers today, but do you remember being a teenager? <laughs> uh, teenage years are, are a mess of navigating the tumultuous journey of hormones and emotions and expectations, all while we try and figure out where we fit in life and what kind of a difference we can make in life, and answering the question, who am I? It's bewildering. If you remember your teenage years, you remember how difficult today, or how difficult it was then. And I'll tell you what, today, today it's got to be the hardest thing in the world to be a teenager. Can I get an amen from any of our teenagers? Yeah, I see at least one head shaking. Yeah. I mean, while every generation, while every generation that's here today has had to process this question of identity in some way, I, I think it's much more difficult today because of the outward pressure, remember? The outward pressure that is being just forced upon the world today about who we're going to be, how we're going to act. How we identify ourselves is certainly a challenge. And especially over the last 18 months, we, we've, we've all been confronted with, with how do we identify ourselves. Uh, I would assume that, that all of us here have gone through at least one transition in life. Um, not just during these last 18 months, but, but I mean ever. And I'm sure as you've gone through those transitions, you've struggled to understand your identity. I mean, if you've ever started a new job, you've struggled to understand who you are. If you become a parent, <laughs> parents, once they hand you this little baby, do you sort of wonder, oh my Lord, what do I do now? Who am I? What am I responsible for? If you've lost a loved one, if you've lost a loved one, it, 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 sort, of, it sort of plays with your mind for a while. Who, who am I now? If you've been diagnosed with a serious health condition, it, it leaves you wondering, who am I? So all of this, all of these life experiences force all of us to grapple with understanding our identity. 
I, I mean, I can tell you that personally during the last year and a half, I, I've been challenged to think about my identity <laughs> in more ways than one. But, you know, when I stepped back a year and a half ago, I suddenly wasn't speaking to a room full of people. I was speaking to a camera on a wall. And let me tell you, that suddenly began to play with understanding who I was because, because for 35 years I'd done the same thing. I always identified myself based upon my work. If you suddenly during the pandemic had to work from home, I bet you had to deal with some of that. You, you sort of had to go like, wait, can I really work in my pajamas? You know, it's okay to work in your pajamas so long as the Zoom call is from here up, you know? But, uh, but we were challenged. We've been challenged to identify ourselves and who we are. And that has been challenged in more ways than one. But, but I want to go back to this idea of work for mo a moment because think about this. When you get introduced, oftentimes you are introduced by what you do. You get introduced by what you do. And if you don't get introduced to somebody right away by what you do, usually it comes up pretty quickly in your conversation. Now, if, if we have anybody in the room here who's retired, my guess is that you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that it's, that it's easy for us to tie our identity to our work. Because when you retire and you're suddenly not working any longer, you're sort of going like, hmm, strange. How do I introduce myself now? Who am I? You know, there's a challenge to that. But not only is it a lie, not only is it a lie that our work is not our identity, it's also a lie that the amount of money in our bank account or the success that we have at work or our grades or which college you get into or your appearance or the group of friends that you identify with, those are all pressures that the world has brought to bear on our lives. Those are all things that try and squeeze us into a mold that the world says that we should fit within. <clears throat> but as we learned last week, we're not supposed to be squeezed into the world's mold. Instead, we're supposed to be transformed from the inside out. And let's be honest about this. While we, while we all know well, we all know how the, the pressure of the culture wants us to be identified by all these outward measures. The reality is that for most of us, life isn't always up and to the right. I mean, there are days, there are days that life is more like this. I mean, if you've ever lost your job and your income got, has gone south, and I don't mean like gone to Florida kind of income, I mean, it's just literally gone. When your success suddenly turns to failure, when you don't get into the school of your dreams because your grades weren't quite up to par, and that youthful appearance, no matter how hard you try, you just can't stop the aging process. See, 
the world is trying to squeeze us into an image. And the reality is, it's not until we suddenly find ourselves not going up and to the right, but going down, that that's, that's when we really are challenged to be able to identify who we are, not by what the world says, but from the inside out, as the Spirit of God informs us of who we are. And so, I want you to think for just a moment here about how God answers the question, who am I? How does what God says to you influence how you answer the question, who am I? Well, first of all, God says that you and I are individuals who are made in the image of God. You, and you, and you, and you, are all made in the image of God. And that makes us uniquely persons of worth. And nothing, nothing will ever diminish or change your value as a person who bears the image of God. Now add to that this important truth that you are loved by God. Look at a person next to you right now and tell them you are loved by God. Now, you know, what's most fascinating is that you're all smiling right now. I mean, a few moments ago, you were all just sort of sitting there like, now you're smiling because somebody all of a sudden reminded you who you are. You are a person of worth created in the image of God and loved by God. And that truth will never, ever change. Because you see, the truth is our identity should always flow out of that simple statement that I am a person who is loved by God, created in the very image of God. But what do we so often do? Rather than allowing those words to transform us from the inside out, so many times we allow the world to squeeze us into its failed molds. And when we let the world squeeze us into its mold, it begins to steal our true identity. Now, one of the things we're going to do during this series is we're going to have some guests who are going to join us on stage to, uh, to talk about these particular questions. And this morning, uh, I'm going to invite two, uh, two wonderful ladies to join us, uh, State Representative Patty Kim and Susquehanna Township School District Superintendent Dr. Tamara Willis. And do you notice what I just did? I introduced them, what? based upon their work, okay? So let me give you a microphone here. Okay, we got microphone number two, and we have microphone number one, and there you go, ladies. Let me grab a stool here for myself, because I can do a stool. All right, so um, would you just start by, uh, by introducing yourselves 
in the, in the best way, not you know, just telling us that you are a, a representative or a superintendent. Tell us, tell us who you really are as individuals. So uh, who wants to start? Patty, you want to start? Sure. All right. First of all, Pastor George, thank you so much for having us. Uh, we really enjoyed the last uh, service. And, uh, thank you for partnering with Community Classrooms, with your Rockville Church. I think Pastor Taylor is an amazing pastor. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Patty Kim, and I have a job that most normal people don't want. Uh, uh, I grew up in church. I love Pastor George. I love seeing your family because this is what um, I do. My family is right now at Grantham Brethren of Christ Church with my in-laws, and I just love sitting together as a family, worshiping together. So um, it's real special. I have a daughter and a son. Um, Brielle and Ryan, and Ryan's good friend Jake is here, uh, worshiping with us, and um, love my family. I actually like being with my husband, and that's it. Good morning, everyone. Um, I echo um, Patty Kim's um, intro by really thanking, by really thanking um, Pastor George for being for inviting us, but also for being a, a true partner with the school district. Um, I am Tamara Willis. Um, you notice I did not say Dr. Tamara Willis because that truly is not a part of my identity. Um, usually folks don't know the DR exists unless someone tells them. Um, I would say uh, who I am. I am a grateful child of God. That is who I am above all. Um, and in that role, I serve um, as the uh, guardian of my wonderful nephew. His name is Aiden. He's sitting over to my right. He's been with me since he was eight years old. He is now 15, so he is that um, teenager that you spoke about. Um, I'm also, uh, I love my family as well. Um, before Aiden, my children had four legs, um, and so, that has been quite a journey, um, having an instant child, um, and I've talked to God about that quite a bit. Um, but I'll also say that um, one of the things that has recently shifted with Aiden's arrival in my identity uh, that I never had to deal with is that I am now the parent of a black male. Oh, okay. I never understood what that meant. Um, so each day I'm learning, I'm letting that rest with me. Uh, but in all of that, um, in my spare time, I do serve as the superintendent of the Susquehanna Township School District. All right. And that's hard. That's a hard job. I mean, that's a, that's a very hard job. And we, we appreciate your, uh, your serving our community, both of you, the way that you, uh, you serve our, our larger community. Um, so would you share a little bit about what factors shape who you are? what factors shape your identity, what experiences, what conversations, what people made you into the person that you are today. And Patty, if you want to start there. Sure. Um, so I was listening to a sermon on prayer, and Charles Stanley said um, something that really resonated with me. He said that, and it was in the, the theme of prayer and why we need to pray to God. And it was, God gave me enough inadequacies to depend on him. Gave me just enough inadequacies to depend on him. 
And why that resonated with me is, you know, growing up uh, in California, um, my parents were children during the Korean War. They were about like, eight and 14, where it was bad. Like my mom, um, her part of her house was bombed by B-29. She lived in North Korea before they could escape. So, you know, her childhood was not happy. We come to the United States. They came to the United States and met, and me being born here, but always looking different, always looking foreign in this area, and then super shy. When we moved from California to Virginia, my mom took me to my sixth grade class. I mean, painfully shy. She was like, this is Patty, she'll be in your class. And the teacher looked and goes, does she speak English? Because <laughs> I just didn't want to talk. I'm just painfully shy kind of person. And, um, just moving up in an Asian-American family where the standards were so high in terms of academics, you know, if we can't compete with, you know, networking and blah, 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 we gotta do the grades. And, you know, I'm a C plus B, you know, average person, and that, in an Asian family, like, that's failure. My dad would always be like, so-and-so just went to MIT, and blah, blah, went to Harvard, and I just felt dumb, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'm dumb. And so I did not have that self-confidence growing up at all. Fast forward, trying to go into nursing, trying to do media, um, there came a point where having this hunger to serve to much who is given much as expected, I felt this uh, heart to, to, I have to give back, I have to serve. It's something that I just could not ignore. And the opportunity for city council, to serve on city council came up. And I, I said to my sisters, do you think this is something I should do? Their reaction was to literally laugh at me. I mean, sisters can be cruel, but they're just like, yeah, right, Patty. Are you kidding me to go into politics? And it was something that I felt like, I, I feel like I have to do this. My whole kind of life was built towards, you know, I had a little bit of media background. My husband had a nice network. And I was, I was literally spazzing because I was so scared to go into politics. You know, it's kind of like, you know, either walking out the door naked and seeing how people think about you or jumping off a cliff and thinking, is the parachute? Politics, I don't want to do politics. That's not what I wanted to do. Uh, a verse came to me because I grew up in church and they forced us to memorize Bible verses. And it actually worked because it came all the way back to me in my 30s where when I was praying, like, God, I don't want to do this. Please pick somebody else. A verse came into my head, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, 26 through 29. And this shot me up right away. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And I, you know, I was kind of in a charismatic church where it was okay to fight with God you know, God knows us, we can struggle with him, we don't have to be like, God, you're amazing, I amen. It was like a real relationship with God, like, God, I don't want to do this. And he got, I was able to be used of who I am that actually works in politics, 
I'm empathetic and I'm soft. It's okay to be <laughs> that as a politician, don't you think? Um, and then I'm in Harrisburg, where I was not born and raised. And um, the way that I connected with the African-American community is through the church. I go to church on Sundays already. So I get to go to the Baptist church, so Shiloh Baptist, the AME church. And the members were so warmed that I was able to serve with them. And then I got to know them, and they trusted me, especially the moms, the grandmothers, who are like the leaders of their own community. And when they say, Patty's okay, then I'm okay. So to have an outsider be accepted, I point to God. I can't boast anything of what I did. It was God. And then winning my first race as the number one vote getter that I didn't even want to do and I was scared out of my mind, it's all God. So it's just been an incredible journey and just to be able to be used in your identity, not better, not more, God doesn't fill you in, just who you are, little you are, the three bread, five, sorry, I'm not good with Bible verses, five loaves and three fish or three fish and five loaves, whatever, and God could feed 5,000. Just, just come as you are, and he'll use you, and it's just been an amazing experience. Yeah. And that's just a, a, wonderful, a wonderful verse, and, uh, Dr. Willis, yes. because I just have always called it's you okay. Dr. Willis. Um, <laughs> you know, you shared at the, at the first service a little bit about your background, and, and I think it just flows right out of that, uh, right out of the verse that Patty shared. Um, so just want to tell some of your story yes. about your identity and where that comes from. Absolutely. I'm proud to talk about the identity, um, especially the origin. Uh, three things when I was uh, thinking about this question. The first is um, I grew up with a God-fearing mother, and she was a woman of great faith. She did not go beyond ninth grade in school. Um, and my parents split early when we were young, so she uh, became a single parent of four. And um, one thing that she instilled in us was that no matter what life throws at you, if God is leading the forefront and he is at the head of your life, anything is possible. So I share this uh, story about how she had asked me as an adult uh, some years ago, to help her rewrite her resume. And as I started to pull the chronology of her employment together, I noticed that a number of the jobs occurred at the same time. And I'm like, wait, I think you have this wrong. So I went back to her, she says, yeah, what's wrong? I said, they're at the same time. She says, yeah. I said, you had three jobs at the same time? She did. She always worked in food services because whatever was left over, that's what she brought home to us for dinner. And sometimes it would be dinner for a couple of nights. So she always instilled in us that if you put God first, no matter your circumstances, you're going to be okay. And that second thing, of course, was just the poverty that we grew up in. Um, I grew up in uh, Harrisburg City. We're originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Go blue, sorry. Um, I know we're in Penn State territory. Um, but we moved here when I was young and I went through the Harrisburg City School System. Uh, started at Camp Curtin, and I graduated from John Harris. Um, and we just did not have, Christmas was Salvation Army for us. Um, and, but we were grateful. And um, so the poverty, a mother who truly feared God, and then the third factor was my educational experience. 
I had the opportunity to see the gross inequities even in the same schools that I attended. Somehow I got into what they call the talented program. But I had friends who never saw the experience that I shared. So I was reading Shakespeare and I'm reading Beowulf. And they were in the same school. They didn't know what any of those things were. And I thought, this is not right. This is not fair. I heard adults calling us animals. I heard adults saying negative things about our families. They never show up and they must not care about their children. My mother was working three jobs, so she was not gonna be on the PTO. She was not gonna be a mother that was gonna come in and bring cupcakes to the class. We couldn't afford cupcakes for ourselves. But those three things really shaped who I have become as an educator um, and one who is truly an advocate for all children because we don't always know what children are experiencing at home, but when they come into our doors, we owe them the best opportunity that they can have. And we also owe them the love of Christ. Even though we may not be able to say it as a school district, we have to show it. Would you be willing to just share a little bit about how, how your identity impacts your, your leadership in the, in the school district? I mean, how you, how, how your identity really influences how you see the yeah. students? I was one of the students, right? So I carry that with me, and I love how, uh, Representative Kim, you said, you know, when you go into those churches, they start to trust you because they see that you've been there, you've seen their experience. Um, I grew up in Harrisburg, um, the school system. Um, I know what it's like for a parent to want to move their child to a better system. They can't. For financial reasons, they can't do it. And so I am in a position where um, I believe every parent should feel as though their child's getting a quality education no matter their zip code. Zip code should not be a factor. Uh, also, I'm a believer, and it just comes out in everything that I do. I'm not having Bible study in the district. Don't tell anybody I'm doing that. I'm not. But honestly, if someone asks me, how do you do it? Like, I've been watching the news. I'll have people say, I've been watching the news. I see all these things that are going on. How are you all doing it? And I tell them, you know what? I serve a God. I serve a God who cannot fail, right? And because I've lived through so many challenges, and I know and I've experienced that when he is in the picture, when he's leading your journey, you can make it. That's how I keep showing up, and that's how I encourage students. I say, look, I've been there, and I encourage their families. My families have been there, right? My mother, and I'll be, I'm gonna cut off. My mother, um, bless her heart, love her dearly. Um, she lost her battle with uh, triple negative breast cancer at the age of 60. But even in the battle, she would always say, I thank God for my journey. I thank God for my journey. Uh, because she knew that even if the circumstances, just as when we were growing up, the circumstances don't uh, lend themselves to what we would believe as a loving God, like why would he allow this to happen? She knew that he was still in control. And so when she finally did lose her battle, our family was still able to thank him for the 60 years that he gave us. So I wanna be able to instill that gratitude even in our families. Yes, your situation may be bleak, it may look like there is really no hope, but just hold on, you can make it too. Yeah. So Patty, you, you're, in a, you're in a profession that, uh, you know, that, that 
presents a real challenge for people today to understand how do we how do we understand our identity that's not necessarily based upon the letter that follows our name you know um, so you 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 carry the weight of being a, a, a politician although I know you're not a politician um, and you you also carry this this outward appearance, as you mentioned, you know, being a Korean American, um, people look at you and, as you said, do you speak English? You know. Um, so, how does all of how does all of that wrap up into understanding your identity as a as a child of God? Uh, so, what I said earlier, I was just fully aware that I'm. Uh, different and I'm called to be in this world as a believer and what does that look like especially in politics and um, you know I think some of you know my party you know I'm, I'm not always agreeing with my party but I feel like I'm a Christian first and how, what does that look like so when I first when I won which uh, for state representative, which was by 43 votes. So, you know, God knows how to humble me. It wasn't a landslide, it was 43 votes. Um, I said, okay, I'm like, wow, I'm in a, I, I understand the weight of this job. I understand how um, influential it can be. So before I started, I said, God, there's like a thousand different issues I can pick from. There's a thousand. I don't always, I don't feel smart. I don't, you know, I'm gonna give it to you. I feel like God has a, an ocean full of wisdom and we have a spoon and all we have to do is ask. So we just ask for wisdom. And um, after praying, God, I give it to you. What are the things you want me to lead? And as I was talking to a woman who had a drug addiction, she got her child taken away 25 years ago. Now she has two degrees, a master's degree, has her own, you know, blah, blah, blah. Her charge of child, she left her child home by, by the baby by himself for a little bit and got in trouble and has a felony in her record. But she's changed her whole life and she's like, Patty, I still have that charge on my record. I can't get off, which makes me look like, you know, I'm a terrible mother, whatever. And as I was talking to this woman, it was just like, boom, Patty, <laughs> expungement, ex-offender, like cleaning people's slate, second chance theme. And no politician was really outwardly for that, but I felt I was needed to do that, and that was a way to show my constituents that I can talk about something that's shameful for them, and then, you know, they prove themselves, and then we switch it. So it's almost like a God thing, you know, forgiveness, redemption. That is the same theme that we all go to. We're not perfect, but by the grace of God, we could. So I was able to pick something that resonated with my community, and that we could help people, and there are other examples like that. So um, doing things differently. And as I've been in politics for now 17, 18 years, uh, I see people, my colleagues, corruption charges, sexual assault charges, this, or this, this. And I'm like, guys, we as believers, we can't be the quietest ones in the room. If we have a problem with our leaders, then let you go and do it. I know not everyone's called to be a politician, my children to be set foot in this arena, but why not us? Why don't we serve in these powerful positions and be influential? Dr. Willis is not saying I'm a Christian, but she does say 
things differently. She loves on the kids differently. I treat my constituents differently where that maybe it points to God. I hope it points to God that we're called to do things differently. So I just think that's how we should have our mindset. It's nice to be quiet and modest, but man, let's, let's make a difference. Why not us? Well, I, I would love to sit here and talk to them for another hour, um, but uh, I'm going to respect all of your time as well. And uh, again, would you just thank them for uh, sharing a little bit of their story? So uh, I just want to wrap things up this morning by, uh, by sharing with you one final thought for the morning. And um, as I said, next week we're going to talk about, about what it means to belong, what it means to figure out where do I fit in, okay? And as we talk about that, we're going we're to sort of pull this idea of identity along with it because the two things go together. But, but here's how I want to sort of get you to, to think throughout this week about this whole question of who am I? And I want to go back to the life of Jesus for a moment because, you know, we don't know a lot about the early years of Jesus' life. I mean, for 30 years, what did Jesus do? He lived in obscurity. He was a carpenter. He, he worked and built things. But then there came a day when Jesus went to the Jordan River. His cousin John was baptizing people, and Jesus wanted to be baptized. He wanted to identify with the people that were, were there coming to be baptized. And so Jesus goes into the waters of baptism, and as he comes out of these waters of baptism, he hears a voice, and the voice says, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about that is that, number one, Jesus hadn't done anything. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't restored anybody's sight. But the Father said, I love you because you're my son, and with you I am well pleased. You see, Jesus' identity was affirmed by his father in that moment, not because of anything he had done, but because of who his father said he was. Now, if you know anything about the story of Jesus, you know that when the baptism was over, Jesus walked out into the, into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, all the pressure of the world would soon try to change that identity as Jesus was tempted over and over and over again. But Jesus could not be deceived about who he was or to whom he belonged or what his purpose was on this earth. And Jesus was able to walk out of the wilderness, continuing to hear those words of his father echo in his head. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I think that that made all the world of difference for Jesus as he walked through the life that he had and all of the pressure that came to bear on him. And I think for each and every one of us, we need to hear those words spoken over us.
Whether you need to hear it yourself, whether somebody that you know needs to hear it from you, or whether you just need to speak these words every time you meet somebody, this might be something that changes your life, but it's very simple. It's to say, Abba, Daddy, I am your child. You love me, and with me you are well pleased. Think about, think about that, how that changes your identity, but also think about this. How does hearing that and knowing that that applies to every person who has ever lived or ever will live, how does that change the way you respond to somebody else? This is a child of God who is loved with an everlasting love, and whom God says, with you I am well pleased. Would you join me in saying these words and then putting them into your heart so that you can repeat them over and over again to yourself this week and hopefully throughout the rest of your life. Let's say this together. Abba, I am your child. You love me. With me, you are well pleased. Lord Jesus, today we just want to commit these words into the depth of our being. We want to thank you for the way that you are continuing to shape our identity. You remind us that no matter where we have come from, no matter what kind of experiences we have in life, the truths that truly form who we are come from within, that we are your children and that we are loved. And Lord, because of that, I pray that today we might begin to recognize who we truly are, that we are not defined by the pressures that the world places upon us, but that we are truly the children of God who are deeply loved and deeply cared for. And for all of that, we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. joining us on the Linglestown Life podcast. If this message was meaningful to you, we hope that you'll leave a review and share it with others. If you want to know more about our church or would like to attend a service or community event, find out more at www.linglestownlife.org. God bless you and may you go forth to love God and love others.